Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Josh Young, Chief of Staff of New Story Charity. We talk about mortgages in Latin America, why homeownership is so critical to people, and how they're innovating in the housing space as a nonprofit. We also talk about El Zante, the way Bitcoin is helping them solve a very thorny problem, and how they are expanding to make homes more affordable for the locals there. Josh Young, how's everything going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Yeah, we met in El Salvador. We talked about a lot of stuff, but I want to give everybody just sort of a sense of who you are and why you're on the show. So can you sort of talk to my audience about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So real high level, I am the chief of staff at New Story Charity, and we are a nonprofit that focuses on innovation in the housing sector. Our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. And, you know, I don't know if you want me to get into it right now, but (laughs) I'll be bragging about New Story and the organization I'm really proud to be a part of in in a little bit. Well, so how'd you get into like this particular sector? Because it's not obvious how you enter an industry, the nonprofit industry and like kind of do what you end up doing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So... I'm actually, I'm an athlete by trade, grew up playing mm-hmm. sports, did two sports in college, football and wrestling, and mm. always had really straightforward goals, academics and athletics. And then mm. the advice I got was go work on Wall Street, make money. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I got great grades, worked on Wall Street, and just didn't love the impact I was making. Ended up switching quickly to politics, I worked on a political campaign and we won. And then I got accepted into Harvard grad school. So Mm. right before I accepted my acceptance, I was introduced to New Story Charity. I met Brett Hagler, our CEO, on the very last day that New Story was in office before the pandemic. So... Mm. The pandemic was about to get into full swing, and I made the decision to decline my acceptance to join as the chief of staff at New Story. Mm. We kind of, it was such a unique time in my life, both on my faith journey and also just within the world. First time in my lifetime that there has been such a tragedy that affected literally global. So hopefully it's the last time as well at this scale. But with that chaos and everybody going through similar struggles, there was also a really unique time to lead and to love within that chaos. And I wanted to do that on the front lines. I didn't want to be on the sideline during that. And also around that time, new story was featured in an Apple TV documentary about their 3D printed homes. So Mm. I was always someone who strived for like the absolute most of excellence. And that Mm. usually precluded me from working full-time at nonprofits. But Mm. New Story operating completely like a for-profit tech startup, uh, really pushing the boundaries of innovation And then on top of that, prioritizing, bringing that innovation to some of the world's most vulnerable families. And that combination is so rare. Like I can't think of another nonprofit quite like it. And, Mm. you know, I'm going to brag on us a little bit. We (laughs) We were one of the first nonprofits to ever be accepted and graduate Y Combinator, which for anyone listening who doesn't know, Y Combinator is probably the premier startup accelerator in the world. They've produced companies like Airbnb and Coinbase, DoorDash, a long list of for-profit companies I'm sure you've heard of. And we were one of the first nonprofits they wanted to invest their time, resources, and advisory in. And they held us to the same exact standards as our four startup peers. And that really pushed us to think differently within the nonprofit space. So we were originally accepted for our transparency model. 
we set up uh, two completely separate bank accounts. One is for operations and the other is for home building. And then mm-hmm. we recruited mostly high net worth individuals and families that were moved by the mission of affordable housing and the focus on bringing innovation to that space to join us. And we call them the builders. They donate directly to our operations costs and they sign up for three-year pledges to do so. And in that way, we're able to plan three years in advance, plan our hires, pay for our events. My salary is paid by this. And that way we can promise 100% that everybody else who donates, it goes directly to home building costs. So we've had that 100% promise since inception and those bank accounts never touch. Anybody who donates knows exactly where their money's going. 100% transparency. And that's just different in the nonprofit space where typically it's close to 70% of all donations go to operations. We can guarantee that 100% of your donation goes to the impact on families you're helping to serve. And, you know, that really resonated with people, resonated with me, and it got us accepted into why Common Air New Story was founded and named after a new story for families receiving the gift of home because they get to write a new story and then new story for nonprofits and the way they're run and the vision for nonprofits. So that's a the quick background on new story. And since then we have been able to build and fund close to 3000 homes affecting 14,000 people. We have done work in Haiti, El Salvador, and Mexico to do this work. And we've been really lucky to have some awesome press, most of it towards the 3D printing initiative. We led the world's first community built by 3D printed homes, which is crazy to think about. This got us featured in an Apple TV documentary. It got us on Forbes and USA Today and on the front of the New York Times even. So that kind of just encouraged our will for this work and testing out different innovations. We've been really blessed to be able to serve so many families. Yeah, so you have this very interesting story of being a kind of like a startup nonprofit. And for the listeners of the show, they're familiar with Y Combinator. Maybe they're in the tech industry or at least know a little bit about it. And, you know, Y Combinator is famous for all the different startups that have come out of it and, you know, the famous demo day and everything else. What was it like for a nonprofit to be there? Because you told us just now that, you know, you have to meet kind of the same standards. You, usually they make you go pretty hard and make, you know, make your minimum viable product, all that stuff. Like as a charity, how does that work? Or how do they, like what metrics kind of change as a result? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So here's one story about New Stories Time and Y Combinator. Kind of our first advice session with one of the advisors there, we were told to set, a crazy goal over the summer, over the course of our Y Combinator journey. And our goal was 50 homes. And the advisor Mm -hmm. said, okay, double that. So 100 homes in 100 days was our goal. Something that we didn't think we started with one home. Our goal Mm -hmm. was to build one home to serve one family it, it just to start and then got accepted in Y Combinator, wanted to propose 50 homes as the goal, and they doubled that. And then we had to break it down from there. 100 was our goal. And we had to think bigger and execute on the plan that we established to build and fund 100 homes. That's just one example of, of many ways where they just showed us to think and dream bigger. And in doing so, you'll find you're able to execute on a lot more kind of 
do it backwards, set your goal first, and then how would you execute a big goal like that? And now, you know, building 100 homes isn't crazy. And we have a bigger goal of serving 1 million people by 2030. So that to do that, we need to build roughly 225,000 homes mm. and raise roughly a billion dollars. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, I know that sort of like goal setting something crazy in the startup world is completely normal. And, you know, I've gone through that where you just sort of dream big, see if you can hit it and you think about it. It's kind of unusual for a nonprofit. That's not something that nonprofits have really like challenged themselves with. In fact, most of them, if I'm not mistaken, spend a significant amount of time fundraising instead mm-hmm. of trying to deploy the money. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And to be clear, we also spend a significant amount of time <laughs> fundraising, but mm-hmm. it's all so goal-oriented. So mm-hmm. kind of the way a startup for-profit will pitch to investors that's similar to the way we'll pitch to donors. Like this mm. is why exactly we need this set amount of money. So a startup will set out to raise $3 million for their series A. We set out to raise $3 million to fund 150 homes while proving this specific innovation, say 3D printing or cool roofs or in El Zante, it's Bitcoin as mortgage repayments. So we're trying to prove something very specific and we've planned it out in a way that this is how much money we need to achieve this goal. And this is the impact it will make on not only these families, but since we're proving a new innovation within the housing space to either increase the speed of construction, decrease the cost of housing and making it more affordable, all RAL either maintaining or even increasing the quality of home building. Mm. So we're doing all that and serving some of the world's most vulnerable families together. And this is how much it costs. And it makes for a really compelling pitch to that type of wealthy individual or company who is used to doing investments and kind of hears that type of verbiage for their for-profit mindset. Now we're doing it for a nonprofit and you get a tax write-off and you can make this impact. You're not going to make money off of it, but you get to leave a legacy. Yeah, that's so interesting because uh, like my impression is that for a lot of nonprofits, it's it's like there's not that much sort of spent on innovation. And mm-hmm. like, do you find that it's a lot easier to pitch to, say, like the typical angel investor or, you know, somebody that would be an LP in a fund, something like this and say, well, you know, evaluate your charities the same way you evaluate, you know, startups or something like that. Is that like, does that connect with them better or is that like an easier or a better model for nonprofits, do you think? I do think it's a a better model, especially the way that we've structured it. Most of the type of people you described will join Mm -hmm. our initiative as builders, if they have the giving capacity. And they'll Mm -hmm. join our journey as uh, really a partner in our organization because we can't do the work that we do. We can't offer 100% model of all donations go to home building costs if we don't have this group of individuals who fund my salary who fund mm. like I'm doing this yes out of the goodness of my heart but I have people in my life I that are dependent uh, and like there is a need for money in this society right so mm. being able to attract really talented teammates like a huge pitch to our builders group is we're going to hire the most talented and we need to recruit the most talented people within the space to be able to reach our goals. And we want to pay them really well if they're worth it. And that really resonates with them as well because they know from building their own companies, yeah, you have to invest in your people. It's probably your most valuable asset. And we're willing to give 
towards people's salaries so that they can make a bigger impact via news story. So for a lot of our builders who come on and donate directly to our expenses and our salaries, this really resonates with them. And then to the people who want to specifically make an impact to families directly, it really resonates them with them too, because they know 100% of their money is going directly to those families. So on both ends of the coin, the people that we're generating funds from are the bleeding hearts that connect directly to these most vulnerable families and want to help serve them, as well as the business-minded individuals who really believe in creating great companies. And that's how you make the biggest impact by having companies that make big impacts. So it's kind of a dual threat in terms of raising funds. Mm, Very interesting. Well, so let's talk about some of the innovations that New Story has sort of uh, pioneered. I know it started in Haiti. Can you tell us about some of the, you know, different ways in which you've made homes cheaper, faster to build or more secure or, mm-hmm. you know, better, more space efficient? What are some of the <laughs> ways in which you've innovated, I guess, as a, as a nonprofit? Yeah, for sure. So we started in Haiti. Our CEO and founder went down to Haiti as on his first mission trip. So he kind of fell in love with Jesus and started New Story in parallel. He got down there his first time international and just could not believe the way families were living. He wasn't exposed to it previously and saw tarp tents and tin roofs with well-known nonprofit organizations on them and just thought there has to be a better, more dignified way to house these families in need. So that was, he looked around for organizations, nonprofits that did high, high quality home building and didn't find one that operated with transparency and where he could see where the money was going and started a new story to really help dignify families and provide them with homes that they were proud of. So something we do at New Story, kind of for every project, our innovation is making sure families are proud of the homes that they're receiving. One way we do that is a lean participatory design model. We call this LPD. And essentially, we interview all of the families that are going to be receiving homes from New Story individually and then as a group for the community design. And they give input. They tell us their worries, their concerns, their hopes, and their dreams. And we get to construct a a community and a home that they had a hand in designing. So when they pass it off to their kids and even their kids' kids, because it's designed with a lot of quality, they can be super proud of what they helped create. That's number one, just serving this sector with dignity and respect and make involving them in a process. I'll tell a little, a short story about how this has gone wrong. And so in Mexico, back in the early 2000s, they had an initiative to build 2 million homes. So it, to their credit, they did build 2 million homes, but it was- Who's they? Just The uh, Mexican so government. Mm-hmm. They focused on building homes as cheap as possible. That means using land that nobody wanted to live in and using cheap building materials that didn't last. So within 10 years of this initiative, there are already 900,000 abandoned homes in this area. One, because Mm. nobody asked families like what they wanted in their design, how their communities were. They made a lot of empty promises about where schools might be and working places. And they were just really far from the cities. So families just couldn't live there. They couldn't afford it because there were no jobs, no schools, and 
just had to give up on this dream. So this whole area is full of broken dreams. And each house, each abandoned home resembles that broken dream and broken mm-hmm. promise. So that's something we really pride ourselves on is just building high quality homes that families want and that communities can be proud of and they use. Another really small example is a nonprofit in Africa went to build homes and help, but they didn't ask families you know, what they like in their homes. So they built homes the way in US they look. So uh, toilets in the house. And in this particular village, you did not have <laughs> toilets inside your house. It's It was just repulsive and families did not want to live there. They could not give these homes away because there were, there were bathrooms in the house. They only wanted outhouses. So that's just a, a small example of how like you're trying to help, but if you overlook the things that families need, you're not helping. So, in all of our communities, we do that. We also use 100% local labor and 100% local materials. That way, we're empowering the entire economy, not just the beneficiaries of the homes themselves. In our community in Mexico, the flashiest and sexiest innovation is the 3D printed home. Mm. It's built to U.S. building codes. It takes only 24 hours of printing time. And it we're bringing the cost down. Right now, that was a huge like research and development lift. Mm. A lot of people told us we were crazy for investing in this type of work as a nonprofit. And th- I think that's a lot of the mindset you see within the nonprofit space is just use your dollars to do exactly what you know is safe, right? Mm. These Don't take risks. Don't take <laughs> any risks, which isn't how in anything else that's successful, you see risks taken. And we believe the nonprofit space needs that as well in a very responsible and you know calculated way, but definitely risks taken. And they called us crazy for doing work like this. And we were very transparent with the donors who wanted to fund this work that their money was going towards this and they were supportive of it. But like even some of our advisors were like, just build homes the traditional way. Like, don't worry about spending a million dollars on 3D printing, just build homes. And it paid for us in a huge way because now there are multiple companies trying to do 3D printed homes. There are multiple companies trying to make innovation within the housing space. Right now, there are 1.6 billion people in the world that live without homes or in inadequate shelter. So the UN projects that number to grow to 3 billion by 2030, which is just a tremendous number, unfathomable, and it's going up. So clearly current solutions aren't keeping up with the problem. So we need to create innovations that help to keep up with the problem and kind of encourage the space of housing to invest in this type of work as well. So that's one of the the things we really encourage. We're very transparent with our learnings and with other for-profits, nonprofits, government entities in the hopes that they will do similar work. And then together, we can bring down the total number of people living in homelessness. And that's mm. that's our dream, that we live in a world with, where we're not necessary, really, mm. where everybody is housed in a dignified way. And we know we can't do that work alone. We need a lot of other people, entities, and governments to do radically different work as well as pour resources into this. Hmm. And what you really need is innovation, which is what what you're bringing that I think not a lot of other nonprofits bring at all, because you're trying something different, like doing a 3D printed home in like 24 hours. That's crazy, right? Like no one (laughs) does that even in the US. So like to be able to do that is, you know, like absolutely add something 
a different dimension to this whole charity thing. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, like the families that get these homes and making sure that they're involved. You also, I, if I'm not mistaken, have them actually pay for the home. Can you talk a little bit more yeah. about why you do that and what that's all about? Yeah. So early on, we learned that families actually want to pay for their homes. It provides them with dignity and respect and really fills them with pride to be able to pay for their own homes. Now, historically, we have funded all of this with philanthropy and their repayments went back to what we call a community fund. So this fund would build roads and do other repairs that the community needed. In some cases, the community would vote to build a church or a park with this fund. But with our huge goal of housing a million people, we've actually pivoted a little bit into collecting the repayments ourselves, kind of acting as a loaner in a case, charging a 0% interest rate in most cases, and just collecting the principal over 5 to 15 years. So mm. families are already in a lot of these places paying rent for inadequate <laughs> homes to say the least or squatting on land that they don't own but have incomes of some level. So we have just for an example in Mexico alone there are 19 million people living in homelessness that have an income between $10 a day and $15 a day, which is our target customer, let's say. Mm. Someone who is at the base of the pyramid, but is generating some level of income and doing real work in their community. And there are 19 million people in Mexico alone that are like that, living well below the poverty range without a home who are working full-time jobs. And we believe that they deserve homes and not just anything, but high quality homes. So what we've ventured into is more of a market-driven model where families pay for the entirety of their home and we just increase the loan years, the terms, mm -hmm. right? We have them pay off the principal just over a 15-year period. And then we, or if they end up increasing their income, which we have seen in almost all of our communities, on average, it's a 63% income increase after a family gets a safe home, which is just so dramatic and proves how foundational having a home is to thriving in other aspects of life. Then they can pay more and own their home, own their land even quicker, right? And mm. we've learned that families, if given the opportunity to purchase an affordable home, they will jump at it. And it's a dream come true. Right now, there's just no access in the developing world to do so. And that's where we're, that's where we're looking to do. And right now, we have very generous individuals giving us multiple millions at 0% loan. And then we're giving that to families by building them homes. And then over a five-year, 10-year period, we pay back the loaner, the individual who basically is giving us their money to to use, and then they get repaid back over those same loan terms. So on top of donating, we have some investors giving towards this impact in this way. So they're essentially giving up opportunity costs on their money as a way to fund this. Like you don't actually have to donate money per se. It's just right. opportunity costs on your money. Exactly. Which for, for them is significant. It's a huge sacrifice, but they get this money back after five to 10 years. And ultimately, we get to build more homes. Because mm. you have more financing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the money situation. Because as you said, if these families were given the opportunity to 
you know, buy an affordable home with a mortgage, they jump at. How come there's no one serving them on that? (laughs) Like, well, how come nobody's (laughs) like giving them loans or whatever? Yeah. So there's just been zero interest to serve this income class. The main reason is, especially in the areas we serve, Latin America, Mexico and El Salvador specifically, over 70% of people living here in that area are unbanked. So they don't have any credit history. They don't have a means to take out a loan or repay a loan. They can't pay anything over internet or Mm. just it's all pen and paper. So what that Mm. has led to is them really getting taken advantage of for decades. Mm. And there's a huge lack of transparency. Basically someone goes into their community, goes to their house, and records a collected payment. So if they didn't write it down that day or you know, said the family didn't pay and pockets it, then the family just still owes that twice as much next time they come around. That's happened a lot. So families, really, they just don't trust banks mm-hmm. because of this. The ones that do still try to get loans... It's so predatory. It's not even fair. It's not uncommon for someone in El Salvador looking for a long-term loan to be offered a 100% interest rate, which is Mm. just mind-blowingly unfair. And for those reasons, it's just really not possible. And let's say they could get a loan, but still, you know, they're unbanked. They will, might have to take a bus two hours and wait in line at the bank to make their payment and then take another bus ride two hours home. And this is actually common for smaller loans, than not long-term loans, which aren't possible, but smaller loans, they already do this. Or like to pay a bill per se, like for electricity, they might have to sit this long for and just take a day off of work. So there's an opportunity cost there. They don't get to be with their family. So there's an opportunity cost there for them. It's just not something that they dream of to be able to take out a loan at an affordable price to build a house. And that's what we've been able to offer. And in El Salvador specifically, we're proving out a loan model that uses Bitcoin for these Mm -hmm. repayments. And in that way, we're able to offer the unbanked an opportunity to pay payments from their couch the way that you or I might make payments from wiring from our bank account. It, in my case, it happens automatically. And that's what we want for this family, these families to be able to make payments on an affordable loan to have one of life's greatest assets, a home. And that's that's our vision for this project in El Salvador. And Bitcoin is making that possible. Using the Lightning Network, we're able to offer complete transparency to families. They can see on their app, we can export it to Excel and track who has paid. And they can see it right there. There's no discrepancies on the blockchain. And then... We're also able to cut the operations costs completely. That's another reason loans aren't given because then someone has to come to their houses to collect payments. Now we cut all those operations costs because we're collecting payments from our phones. And in those ways, we're able to offer very cheap loans and offer just the ease of use that paying from your phone has. And although over 70% of these people don't have banks, over 90% of them have smartphones. So this option is just already available via what they have. And in El Salvador specifically, with their, their commitment and making Bitcoin legal tender, it's the perfect place to pioneer a solution like this, offering affordable loans and proving that it works this way to serve this asset class. Yeah, and that to me is absolutely like 
amazing because you've been in El Salvador before. And, you know, I, I was there with you when, you know, you were, you know, giving out keys yeah. to the new homeowners. Wasn't that special? Uh, but, yeah, that was extremely special. Like, that was awesome seeing them, like, get a home. They're all getting emotional. They, you know, all their stuff gets moved into the house and, you know, they're not living in poverty anymore. They actually have somewhere to be and they have a community and, and, and everything. But you've been building houses in El Salvador. Talk to me about like what the collection process of rent and uh, not rent, I guess it's mortgage payments yeah. is like was like before this whole Bitcoin thing in El Zante. Yeah. So right now, our local partner, who is excellent, Gente Ayudando Gente, they go into each of the communities and collect payments. Like it costs us money to send them there. We pay them their rates, and they have to physically go collect payments. They report to us who paid, who hasn't paid. And it's just a headache, really, to, to have to go and do that manually in a way that Bitcoin just fixes that problem. For us who want to serve this asset class, it just is difficult when there are no bank accounts, when there is no real option other than to do a manual transaction. So like Bitcoin is just such a blessing. <laughs> it, it really mm -hmm. is. And it enables us to house even more people quicker because we don't have to hire as many people locally to do the collections. It can just kind of be one person who operates via news story locally. And that way, if they have questions, they can kind of discuss if the, we're not in the business of evicting people. So we want to work with families. If something happens in their family, they lose a job, their husband gets sick, we can work with you to make your payment more affordable. We'll just extend the loan term. That's no problem. And you get to pay for your home at a pace that's affordable and comfortable to you. So we definitely need locals and we'll still hire locally, but it's just just a huge headache is removed. So far, we've built close to a thousand homes in El Salvador. So this is the first community that we will do Bitcoin repayments. And the contract that the families sign includes that they will repay via Bitcoin. And in dollar terms, but it, yeah, with Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, to yeah. clarify it, all, all of it's denominated in USD. This way, we, it's way easier to protect families. We can move quicker that at least initially they're not needing to hold Bitcoin when they're, you know, living closer to day by day. They need their income to provide for their survival. And then they can transfer immediately upon converting their Bitcoin to our wallet. We're setting up a subsidized Bitcoin ATM in their community. So this transaction is super seamless. Uh, some of them are already get, getting paid in Bitcoin, which makes it even easier. They can just transfer it immediately. And, you know, it's just... It's a huge, huge opportunity that we even haven't dreamed of before really investing into Bitcoin research and Bitcoin. Mm. Well, that's very cool. And I think it's uh, hard for us here in the US or in you know the West or whatever to appreciate just how manual <laughs> like yeah. transactions are there. You know, I, I remember going to the airport and you know, I, I was buying some, you know, shirts for my kids or something like that. And uh, the guy literally wrote down everything I bought on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't for me as a receipt. It was for him so he can keep inventory. Yeah. <laughs> like the amount of money he's collecting to, you know, like this is the state of uh, and kind of hard to believe. But, you know, this was what it was like before computers and sophisticated POS systems with RFID tags and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it's hard for us to appreciate that that's where a lot of these people are, is it's a cash-based society where you literally give, you know, U.S. dollars to people. And that's kind of how you have to transact. 
And Bitcoin sort of like, you know, takes a huge leap forward from that to being able to do it on your cell phone. Yeah, no doubt. And the biggest thing that it gives families is transparency. They can see right there in their wallet that their payment was successful. Like, and Mm -hmm. via the Lightning Network, it happens immediately. So Hmm. they don't have to worry about being taken advantage of. They see it right there. They have a receipt. They have a receipt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they have proof that it went through. They know that they're not getting screwed. And that's for people that have been kind of abused by the banking system. That's no doubt matters. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about the homes that you're building or that are in the process of being built in El Zante. I know this is kind of a pilot project, but Mm -hmm. what's this about? How did it come through? And, you know, what are your plans? Yeah, for sure. So our aha moment like with Bitcoin was seeing actually last summer, so June of 2021, Bitcoin Beach being promoted in a lot of articles like online. And as someone who's obsessed with the housing crisis, that's something I just think about. Like when I see things in the news, I wonder how can we use this to get more people in safe homes. And seeing a Bitcoin-based economy actually working was so powerful and like really enabled me to think about monetary transactions differently. So I did some research. Me and my CEO sent articles back and forth about how many people are unbanked in Latin America, the people that we serve, and then how many of them already have smartphones. We're seeing at Bitcoin Beach that people are comfortable making these payments. El Salvador is adopting Bitcoin as a legal currency. It was just like, yes, Bitcoin fixes a lot of these problems that we're struggling with. And via Bitcoin, we can offer way more affordable houses and loans specifically that families can pay off and just make that ease of transaction just disappear, right? So it just makes it so easy. So that was kind of the influence behind trying this. So we set out, we actually were bringing a donor down that same week that the USA Today published the Bitcoin Beach article. And we reached out to Mike Peterson and we're like, hey, can we meet with you? And he was like, yeah, I'd love to, right? And in the Bitcoin world, it kind of just happens like that. You have people passionate about what they're doing and everybody's looking for a reason to say yes, to make a positive impact. And it turns out he and Bitcoin Beach were hoping to do some sort of affordable housing project, but couldn't find the means or the partners to do it. And it was kind of a perfect storm to try something like this. And we kind of set out to build a hundred plus homes over, you know, the course of, we didn't know how long it would take. We still needed to acquire land and stuff. And it's actually going super quickly. We got an awesome donation right away that helped us build the first eight homes and families will move into those first eight homes next week on February 1st, 2022, which is so exciting. And then we have secured land for, and we're going to do this in phases, but we have land now for about 600 homes in El Zante uh, and the surrounding area. So Mm. we're going to start with a hundred homes and then 200 homes, and then plan it out from there. But there's also going to be a community center in this area. There's going to be resources for families to learn about Bitcoin and get jobs in Bitcoin or in tech spaces. It's really going to start to be the, our dream for it is to be the heart of El Sante. And we have Hope House Jorge Valenzuela, Chimbera, and then Mike Peterson helping us train families on Bitcoin and making payments via Bitcoin for their mortgage. And we've partnered with Galloy, who made and owns the Bitcoin Beach wallet. 
they're mm-hmm. building out a new story tab for us pro bono that will allow families an interface to see how much they're paying off, like kind of a progress bar and how much their monthly payment is. And it's just a click to make a payment and then a click to confirm. And so like three clicks from the comfort of their couch, they can make a payment and over five to 15 years, depending on how much they want to pay per month, they'll own their own home and their own land and talking to families who are going to be beneficiaries of this. Like I'm sure you saw this Jimmy as families moved in, they're literally crying. Like this is something Mm -hmm. they haven't dreamed of and they're paying for their home. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just not something that's possible. It's a complete lack of access in the developing world and being able to offer that and then prove that it works. Now a lot of, banks or or companies might make similar loans to this asset class and it won't be 0% interest but you know something affordable like 3% or 4% something that we see in the US and the thing about the homes that you guys are building it's uh I mean, it's good construction but it actually like you've cut down the cost quite a bit and, and yeah. I was like watching the workers and in those eight homes and they're working very hard, but it's like, it's not that complicated. And, you know, they, it's, it's sturdy, it's cement and rebar and it, it looks great, but you know, it doesn't take that long. And what I found really interesting were the families that were actually helping on the construction (laughs) is like, I'm like, huh, that would make me very proud of my home too. Yeah, no doubt. And some of them get jobs in construction during this process. Like some of them already work in construction, so they get to build their own houses that way. And then everybody volunteers mostly in the earlier stages of land prep, but does some sweat equity. So they have part in building their home. But specifically, we train families in this way. Anybody who wants to to learn about the construction process and wants to be involved, they learn actual skills via this process. And then they can get jobs in construction afterwards. We have programs via our local partners for them to learn about multiple different things. Language is one, English. And then we have chef classes for them to learn how to cook and get jobs in hospitality afterwards. And then we have construction. Another thing that helps is partnerships with local government. In the cases of the homes you saw, Jimmy, we've partnered with the Minister of Housing. And she made a deal with prisoners who Hmm. inmates that use labor as a way to learn skills while imprisoned. And also they, for every one day of labor, I think it's two days uh, off their prison sentence. So not only are they being rehabilitated in a, you're learning a skill that you can use after you get out of prison, but you're also getting inducted back into the world sooner because of your efforts in this work. It's also a way that we better the community as well as lower costs. But we are really proud to be able to pay everyone at a profit that we work with. So Hmm. in a lot of cases, we get government help and government subsidies, but it's probably like 10% of most of the communities that we build in, sometimes less, rarely is it more. And we're able to pay local labor and for local materials at a profit and still do it under $10,000, which Hmm. is like, these are homes that I personally would live in. (laughs) Like for like, they're, Mm -hmm. they're nice homes that will last generations. And some are two stories some are are one stories one story but they have the ability to build a second story onto it if 
a family outgrows it. There's a lot of different things that go into the design of our houses that enable families to dream bigger. Hmm. And that, that to me is like absolutely fascinating, <laughs> just how how you've reduced the cost and, you know, like figured out different ways to benefit all all kinds of people, right? Like, you know, if you're a prisoner coming out of prison, you know, like very rarely do they have, you know, enough skills to go get a job so they go back to crime. But if you're mm-hmm. training them in construction, now they can go get a job in construction and, you know, like maybe go be able to buy a home like this eventually and, yeah. uh, you know, dream, dream bigger and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that to me is highly impactful. But going back to Alzante, you have this project for these eight homes and they're they're going to be able to pay back in Bitcoin and so on. And you have this other, you know, bigger project. When's that slated? And I know we talked a little bit before about this, but Mm -hmm. are Bitcoiners going to be able to perhaps buy some of these properties? (laughs) Yeah. So we're still working through the mixed income outcome Mm. of how these communities will be built. There'll be some for sure, houses that are sold at a higher value. One, Mm. this lets families know that they're getting an asset that other people want, right? And pricing it towards the market also lets them know how big a deal this is. And that just Mm. changes the mindset for them that you're seeing actually a lot in throughout El Salvador, but El Zante specifically, that people are proud to be from El Zante, where Mm. just even two years ago, people didn't want to say they were from El Salvador just because anybody international heard El Salvador, they thought murders. And now, Mm. like families and people in El Salvador, you can see it. Like they're dreaming differently. They're thinking differently. They're proud of where they come from. And we want this community to really highlight that. So along with the community center that's going to be built there and attract locals as well as international folks, we are considering a definitely a mixed income community where some houses will be priced differently. We haven't decided if we want to let... (laughs) people internationally buy them Mm. or just serve locals. We've only ever served locals before. So it would be something also different for us. But yeah, this community is meant to be just a, a dream maker type of community show the world that this is possible via Bitcoin. And it it's completely funded so far by Bitcoiners. I mean, we're still working on getting funding for the larger community. The first eight homes were funded in Bitcoin Mm. by Coinbase. And then we're hoping to get a lot of Bitcoin influencers on board and really kind of make this a a community effort for this community. So, But we've acquired land so far to build 600 homes, which is super exciting. It was, that was the biggest hurdle was finding land to buy, mostly because paperwork in El Zante mm. was hard to track down. And now we have that land. So we can start on the larger community this summer, which is mm. really exciting. So the, all of this by, <laughs> by from where we had this conceptual idea in July to mm. breaking ground on a 200 plus home community will happen in a year. And from ideation to, you know, first eight families moving in just a little over six months. So we do move quickly while operating with excellence. And, you know, we're really excited to prove that this model works. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you're building another 200 homes, that's a lot of jobs for the people there. Yeah. Good paying jobs for a lot of them. Yeah, no doubt. The whole community is pretty excited for the projects happening, not just what we're doing, but other projects in El Sante as well. Mm. And that in turn, uh, of course, like builds more confidence in the area and, you know, more services. There's going to probably be more stores and, you know, services and things like that, which in turn, like 
basically builds the town up, builds the country. Yeah. And, so on. and we're lucky to have Bitcoin Beach right there. I mean, it's part of the reason we chose this area, but they're going to be helping us train families in the community we're serving to really get like a full community like improvement, not just home building, but even after home building. We found that families improve the quality of their life dramatically just from having a home. So now add in the stuff that Bitcoin Beach does really well in terms of building community and training families, helping them save, helping them save. Like we can really turn this poor little surf town into a place to be in the world. And that dream being realized and seeing it come to fruition is pretty crazy. Hmm. And indeed, that seems to be what's happening. But yeah, if you haven't been to El Zante, this is one of the really cool projects that's going on there. And it's not just a bunch of Bitcoiners spending money. It's actually like the local community is benefiting. There's a lot of uh, new building that's happening. And, you know, the government, I think, is helping as well. They're putting in sewer lines and roads and all all sorts of things. So it's actually like really building up and uh, very positive for, for a community like that. Yeah, no doubt. It's super exciting. And just to add on that, how supportive the government has been th- through all this has been really, really cool and different from like other municipalities that I've seen. So just kudos. I want to encourage them as well to continue to empower, you know, their people, really. And mm-hmm. if international folks want to come help, like they're looking for a reason to let them which has been, I think, a smart play. Uh, Was that not the case before with previous Uh, administrations? In El Salvador for us, so we've been there five years. Michelle Sol, Jimmy, who you met, has been incredible Mm -hmm. to us. She started, she was the mayor of Nuevo Cuscatlan in the community that we built. And now she's the minister of housing. And she has always been super supportive. I mean, more globally. Like I'm thinking where I live in the US where getting even a meeting is impossible and then getting a politician to say yes to a project is even more impossible. It, you, you just hear no all the time. So mm. um, part of the reason we work internationally is because you get more government involvement. Mm. And approval. And approval. Uh, just than... like, there's just such a hesitancy to take any risks in the US. Mm. So the work that we're doing requires governments to say yes before something's trendy. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> so, and that just doesn't happen too often in the US. Mm. When are we going to see some 3D printed homes in uh, El Zante? I mean, we'll see. The Part of the reason we've, we've only done 3D printing in Mexico. Mm. Part of that reason is you need a one of those giant 3D printers and mm. we transport them from Texas. So mm. transporting that from Texas to Mexico isn't crazy logistically, but trying to get it from Texas to El Salvador makes it a lot more difficult. So in the near term future, we'll probably stick to 3D printing in Mexico. But a lot of cool innovations happening in El Zante otherwise. Mm. Well, I mean, it's super interesting what's going on. And I find this lightning as like a point of sale or like, a, you know, a payment rail for a community like this. It just makes a lot of sense. And, you know, they're not traditionally a place that's uh, done a lot of digital transactions, but they're mm-hmm. they're really getting on board now. And it seems to be, you know, multiplying the productivity of the Salvadorans. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, where can people learn more about the charity and where can people learn more about you? Yeah. So you can check out New Story Charity and the work we're doing on newstorycharity.org. Our Twitter handles and Instagram are both at New Story Charity. And then to contact me directly, my Instagram and Twitter handles are Joshua underscore LC underscore young. And if you're someone who, you know, has been blessed 
in your work or you know even blessed specifically by bitcoin and you want to be a part of this community we're building in El Salvador, email me at josh at newstorycharity.org. I would love to work on a partnership. Hmm. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, it's one of the more inspiring things that I saw. And I saw a lot of <laughs> inspiring things in, in El, El Salvador. Appreciate you, Jimmy. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was a fun conversation. And, you know, uh, Jimmy, you're a great human. I, I just, I'm just really happy we got to meet in El Zante. Yeah, indeed. Same to you. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Josh Young can be found on Twitter at at Joshua underscore LC underscore Young and at newstorycharity.org. Until next time, fiat delenda est.